Listener Production. Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. <clears throat> I quite like that as our new thing. <laughs> it's blatant false advertising, <laughs> but okay. Okay, and um, go. Hello, I'm Moira Rose, and if you love fruit wine <laughs> as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> Come taste the difference good fruit can make in your wine. You'll remember the experience <laughs> and you'll remember the name. Herb Herb Bingley Bidin. Ling Bing. Keeping all that in, you know. Welcome back, listeners. We do keep ourselves amused between episodes. Um, We're thrilled to have you back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast where Rosie Waterland and I give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party in the near or distant future. This week, Rosie Waterland is going to break down something that she's very excited to tell us about, which is... I will be telling you just the gist of Amelia Earhart. Oh. Uh-huh. Do you know who, what, where that is? I could probably sum it up in a sentence or less. Um, female pilot went missing. Mystery yet to be solved. Until today. LAUGHTER <laughs> Bum, bum, bum. I watched a lot of unsolved mysteries and I think I've cracked it. We are breaking this wide open. You heard it here first. But before we break that wide open, shall we do some breaking news? Breaking news. I got the scoop. A C, X ray, X ray. Read all about it. Breaking news. Look, I'm going to say there's not a lot because we're recording these episodes back to back. So in the last 10 minutes, you went to the toilet and I sat here and scrolled <laughs> through my phone. Um, <laughs> but I will say that um, something I've been dying to talk to you about, breaking news wise, is there's a podcast mm. I love that I've mentioned um, before called You're Wrong About. Out, um, yeah. who do really deep dives into topics. Like I always say, they give you enough information that you can have a degree in something. We give you enough mm-hmm. information to get through a dinner party, right? So during mm. Corona, they have been putting out extra episodes um, just because they're like, everyone's at home. Why not do it extra episodes? But because mm-hmm. what they do takes so much work, they can't put out an extra episode every week or whatever because they spend, like, months researching each episode. Mm. So they've started doing this thing where they read, like, somebody reads a book and then they just recap the few chapters of the book they've read each week. And -hmm. the book they're doing at the moment is Jessica Simpson's memoir that just came out. (laughs) So once a week, you're wrong about the host, Michael Hobbs, um talks to the other host, um, Sarah Marshall, about each section of the Jessica Simpson memoir that he's up to. And they talk a lot, like, in depth about, like, you know, what she's written about and what the time in the 90s was like. And Mm. I am so addicted to it. So, like, at the moment they've gone through 
all the stuff she wrote about um, trying to audition for the Mickey Mouse Club and getting rejected and mm. then in high school signing her first record deal and then when she meets Nick Lachey and marries him and she, like, gives a lot of goss in mm. the book. And it's great because it's the kind of book that I can't be bothered reading myself but I mm. super-duper want to listen to someone else tell me, like, what's in it in a funny way. So uh -huh. I... Highly recommend going and listening to You're Wrong About the Jessica Simpson memoir episodes because they're amazing. Good tip. Thank you very much. So that's breaking news uh, of what I'm listening to this week. Are you listening to anything good or watching or, you know, anything? Um, I've had this waiting for well over a year for me to listen to the audiobook of The Disaster Artist. So it was recommended to me <gasps> by a friend and I thought, okay, I don't need to read the book or listen to the book because I've seen the movie with James Franco and his brother mm. um, and it was fantastic. Anyway, I decided... I think, while didn't I'm, we see that together? Possibly. Yeah, I think we did. Um, yeah, we did. And it was sensational and... I needed something to listen to while I was like clearing logs out of the creek up here on the farm and decided to give it a go. It is absolutely brilliant because Greg Sestero is a really, really good writer. He reads it himself and he actually does really? Tom Rizzo's accent so perfectly. So even if you've read it, I recommend that you download it on Audible and listen to it because it is five stars gold. See, that makes me feel like a dick because I've always assumed that... So for people who don't know, The Disaster Artist is a book written by a guy who made a movie with um, a man Tommy called Tommy Wiseau. Wiseau in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And he was basically like a total amateur who just had a lot of money and decided he wanted to make a movie himself. And Greg, what's his last name? Sistero? Sistero, yeah. He got cast in the movie and the movie ended up becoming famous because it was so bad. And that was... Yes. And so anyway, he wrote a book about it. But I've seen interviews and stuff with Greg and I just assumed that he would not be a good writer and it would not be a good book. So I was like, because he just seems mm. a bit... A bit of a sweet dummy. Right. <laughs> well, he did have a writing partner. Ah, um, so maybe all credit goes go. to the writing partner. Um, but the turns of phrase are absolutely fantastic. And in terms of performance from Greg of delivering Excellent. lines in Tommy Wiseau's voice, it is brilliant. And I just have to correct you. The movie was made in the early 2000s, not in the 1980s, believe it or not. Oh, my God. I always think it's the 80s. Yeah. You're tearing me apart. Who is it? Lisa. So <laughs> Lisa. Lisa. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, it's really... Just go and watch um, The Room and watch The Disaster Artist. The Disaster and Artist. And listen to the book. And then listen to the book. Mm. Um, oh, also, I've been There's watching... The Great on Stan, which is about Catherine the Great, and it has um, Dakota Fanning's much more talented little sister, which is nuts because Dakota Fanning's amazing, and Nicholas Holt. Mm. And it's by an Australian filmmaker, by the way, called Tony McNamara, who's amazing, and it's really funny and good, and everyone should watch it. Um, any more breaking news? Your hair's looking fabulous. No, my hair's looking just out of control. Um, it is so blonde. Wild. I know, it's ludicrous. Um, oh, I got yes. my lashes back. <clears throat> Yay! <laughs> and they're big and fat and I feel Do they feel beautiful. really heavy? 
Um, yes, it feels weird. And I also probably shouldn't have gone as big because, okay, so shout out to Lady Lash in, um, they're in Newtown, Gosford, Parramatta. I go to Newtown. Oh, and in Sydney CBD now. And um, I literally was so excited to get my lashes back that I texted the owner of Lady Lash, Charlotte, and told her that the date for salons being reopened had been announced before she even knew. So that I was on top of it before <laughs> even the owner of the salon. <laughs> and so then she like 10 minutes later, she's like, I'm on my way. There's already 300 phone calls. Like they were shockers. Like people were despo. So I went in yesterday and I was like, pile them on my face. And um, and then afterwards I was like, whoa, <laughs> that is <laughs> when you haven't had lashes for a while, it's confronting, but I love them. I feel amazing. I feel Come like a glorious dairy cow. Um, so I'm very <laughs> excited to have them back. <laughs> and that is according to you and I, because we're not qualified to give anyone the news in these trying times. Rosie and Jacob's mm-hmm. breaking news. All right. Are you ready for this week's topic? Amelia Earhart. Let's go. Amelia Earhart. So, yes, you were right. She um, was, I mean, remains, I guess, the most famous um, female art, uh, airline pilot in his airline. <laughs> Let me start again. <laughs> No, keep that in, Felix. People need to know. He, I just saw him go to note to take that out. No, no. We're not embarrassed here. This is how it goes. We're not perfect. You get the warts and all with just the gist. Warts and all with us. Amelia Earhart, arguably the world's most famous female pilot. There we go. Um, She was... Uh, flying a solo trip around the world, the first woman ever to do so, the plane disappeared and she'd never been found and nobody really has ever been able to confirm what happened to her or, like I said, until today, mm. maybe. <laughs> if, you know, <laughs> we need the many like- YouTube rabbit holes I went down will solve this mystery. Mm-hmm. So she was born in 1897 in Kansas And her childhood was like, you know, whatever, normal. She was like apparently a tomboy and very adventurous, like blah, blah. This is just the gist. Around 1918, she was 21. She moved to Toronto and she was a nurse's aide to help during the First World War effort, but mainly ended up helping treat people as part part of the Spanish flu pandemic. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Slightly relevant to our times. Frontline worker. What are they called? (laughs) Essential worker. Represent. Amelia Earhart. Mm -hmm. Um, While in Toronto, she saw her very first air show and she got hooked. So back then, planes, you know, there wasn't um, airlines, there wasn't uh, passenger travel. Planes were still quite new and people mainly were just testing their limits. So flying greater and greater distances Mm -hmm. or doing stunt shows to like test what planes could do. And they were also being used as fighter planes in the war. But other than that, that was kind of it. Um, so she saw this air show and she was hooked. She's like, I want to do that thing. Mm -hmm. And her family had like some money. So she started taking flying lessons. And by 1922, so just a couple years later, she set a women's world record for altitude flying. So she went to 14,000 feet, which I suppose is a lot. I, Mm -hmm. yes. How high do planes go now? I would not have a clue. Very high. higher. (laughs) So anyway, 
She was like good at it from the start is the point mm-hmm. of what I'm saying. Um, but she was still like, eh, I can't make a living out of this. Like I need to get an actual job. It's not like you could go and be a pilot for Qantas like because there was nothing like that. Mm. So she studied health and medicine at Columbia University, um, but her dad, who was an alcoholic, kind of lost a lot of the family's money and she couldn't afford to keep going there. So she dropped out of uni and became a social worker in Boston. And she was working her butt off because she would spend all her spare money on flying, flying lessons, flying training, whatever. And on her days off, that's all she would do. Um, The only sort of famous flying person at the time who had any kind of career that she could possibly aspire to have was Charles Lindbergh. So he did the first solo flight across the Atlantic Ocean, but most people know him because he is the father of the Lindbergh baby, which Mm. is probably one of the most famous kidnappings of all time, which we will have to do just the gist on eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was a female, so she could not really hope to reach the fame and heights of the great Charles Lindbergh. But, you know, she was getting a, a red hot go. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the only female member of the local pilots association. So she did start getting a bit of curious press attention. Like people were like, a lady pilot, but how, <laughs> what if you get your period? Like people were like, what's going on? So she was a bit of a novelty. Um, and she started, um, doing like uh, stunt flying to raise money for certain charities she, as um, in her job as a social worker, was working at what they called a settlement house, which is like a, like a halfway house for women. Mm. Um, and she put together a stunt show where she would raise money for that settlement house and it got a lot of publicity because people in town were like, whoa, she's beautiful and she's smart, she's really good in interviews, she's really media savvy and she's a kick-ass female pilot and it's just mm. like, not so that a lady can do smart man things. Um, so she's pretty much made to be famous and she starts mm. becoming famous very quickly. Um, the publicity around um, the stunt charity show she put together gets the attention of a guy called George Palmer Putnam and he had published Charles Lindbergh's book and made quite a lot of money off managing a lot of Charles Lindbergh's career. Mm. And George was like, whoa, imagine if I could get the lady version of Charles Lindbergh. And his eyes were like, cha-ching, cha-ching, <laughs> like, you know, dollar sign, cartoon. Mm. So he um, decides that he wants to get into business with Amelia Earhart. So he organises for her to be a passenger on a flight across the Atlantic which makes her the first woman to ever make that trip. So she doesn't Mm -hmm. do anything on the flight because she doesn't have experience with planes like that, like navigation equipment. She only has experience with little stunt planes. Mm -hmm. So she's a um, passenger on the flight, but it does make her the first woman to ever do that, even though she just sat there. Mm -hmm. And so she gets even more famous after that and her career goes pretty gangbusters. And aided by Putnam, she starts writing books and lecturing at universities and she gets sponsorship deals. She basically becomes like the 30s version of a pilot influencer. You know what I mean? Like she's famous for being a pilot and she just goes around the world talking about being a pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, people were flying her, like paying her to fly now. So she doesn't have to pay for her stuff anymore. Cause I guess it's that version of being sponsored. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1935, Time magazine named her the world's number one air woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Putnam, 
was like, hey, let's get married. And because she was so kick-ass, she said no a bunch of times. She's like, no, we're business partners. Like, no thanks. Mm -hmm. But she finally agreed, but only, she said, if she could keep her own name and if they agreed to call it a partnership with dual control. No messed up gender dynamics for Amelia Earhart. And I love this so much. On the day of the wedding, she had a note hand-delivered to Putnam that read, I want you to understand that I shall not hold you to any medieval code of faithfulness to me, nor shall I consider you bound to me similarly. I may have to keep some place where I can go to be by myself now and then, for I cannot guarantee to endure at all time the confinement of even an attractive cage. I love her <laughs> and I am using Me that too. clause. Yes. So on the morning of her wedding, she sent him a letter going, uh, we both get to sleep with other people and I get to go wherever I want all the time. See you at the end of the altar. <laughs> she is amazing. Legend. And this, by the way, yeah. is at a time when I believe that they genuinely thought that if women flew, that it would do permanent damage to their uterus because the momentum was going to be yes. so great that it was basically just going to blow up all of their ovaries inside them. So I love the fact I that I didn't know that. Fighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some sort of nonsense. I mean, this is only like a few decades after they were telling women that you'll develop bicycle face and permanently damage your lady bits if you ride a bike. So you can oh imagine how much God. they were resisting women getting on board an aircraft. Um, she sounds like an absolute legend. Keep going. She's a total legend, like just amazing, the best ever. Um, she... Um, also supported the Equal Rights Amendment, which at the time a lot of famous women weren't really willing to do. Uh, she was a member of the National Women's Party. She founded the 99s, an organisation for female pilots. Mm. She set up a career centre at Purdue University that supported women who wanted to switch their studies from things like home economics to engineering or sciences. Um, she was awesome. She was ahead of her time. She was a kick-ass feminist. Mm -hmm. um, and at 39, she decided she was going to retire from flying and just devote her time to these political causes and these feminist causes and to helping educate women in the things they actually wanted to learn and not the things they were forced to learn. And mm -hmm. so she goes, I'll retire from flying, but before I do, I want to be the first woman to fly solo around the world. Mm -hmm. So she had one try, didn't work out. Some stuff went wrong with the plane. There were some dramas, so she tried again. And the second attempt would be the flight on which she would disappear, never uh -huh. to be found. So to fly solo around the world, there's a few stops. You have to do it in chunks. So, like, it's not nonstop. Mm -hmm. Like, so she, um, you know, you fly from one place to one place, that chunk's done, then you do the next place to the next place. Um, she also had one crew member with her. So the point is she is flying the plane herself mm -hmm. solo, but there's also someone on the plane called Fred, Fred Noonan, who is a professional navigator, and he's there to help her do the navigating because she's never been that great with the navigating stuff. Ew, that sounds really stereotypical. <laughs> she's a lady. She's not that great with the map. <laughs> no, I just mean like she was trained as a pilot and how to fly the plane. And the navigation back then was a very complicated separate skill that you generally didn't learn both. You had someone who did the navigation, whether you're a man or a woman. 
So <laughs> she had this guy, Fred, who was doing the navigating, but she was doing all and the And also flying. on hand just so in case she job- needed to reverse park. Mm. <clears throat> exactly. So his job was basically just to point and be like, go that way, and that's what she would do. But um, what's interesting is there had originally been Fred Noonan and a radio operator, but there were so many problems with that first attempt that the radio operator was like, I'm Audi. I am never getting back on that plane or in a plane with her ever again. So they had a radio, but they didn't have a professional who knew how to operate it, and they both had a fairly rudimentary rudimentary understanding of how to operate the radio. Mm -hmm. So on July 2, 1937, they were nearly finished. They had only 11,000 kilometres of a 35,000-kilometre trip to go. They were in Papua New Guinea, and the last part of the trip was going to be over the Pacific Ocean. So they had left California on May 20. They stopped in a bunch of places, including Darwin, They stopped in Darwin, which I never Mm. knew. Mm. Um, On June 29, they landed in Papua New Guinea. And now the plan was to fly to a little island called Howland Island. From there, they'd go to Hawaii and from Hawaii back to California. So they were nearly Mm. at the end. Mm. Um, And it was like the start of July. So it had been a couple of months. Like it takes a while. It's pretty Mm. intense. Um, I feel like they'd both have really bad hemorrhoids because (laughs) my grandpa... (laughs) in World War II was the guy who sat in the back of the plane with the shooty thing. And I remember like saying to him like, oh my God, grandpa, like World War II, was it like traumatic? Like, was it really bad? And he'd always just said the worst part of the entire war was the hemorrhoids you got sitting on the little metal box seat in the plane. Like, why couldn't they just give us a bloody cushion? (laughs) The worst part of the war. So whenever I read this... What's the hemorrhoids? Whenever I read this, I'm like, man, they must like, that'd be uncomfortable. You're sitting in this little metal thing and it's basically a tin can with wings is what Mm -hmm. we're talking about. So the end was so close she could taste it. Like she'd been, and she knew she could live off this legend for years. Like this Mm. would kick up her speaking gigs. She'd get better speaking fees. She could write books. Like this was going to help her push forward the causes for women she was really devoted to. Like it was really important that she goes out on this career flying high because it would Mm. enable her to do so many things and open the door for her to do so many other things. So they take off from this little airstrip in Papua New Guinea on July 2 and then nothing. They're meant to land at Howland Island to refuel and they never land there. So the U.S. government sends out a massive search party. No trace of them is found. And um, although she's eventually declared dead um, a few years later, so Putnam, her husband, can remarry because he can't remarry until she's declared dead, technically, if you go to Wikipedia today, her official status is missing for 82 years, 10 months, and 30 days. That's as of today. Um, so what happened, Jacob? Well, let's have a look-see. There have been lots and lots and lots and lots of crazy theories about what Mm. happened to Amelia Earhart. Now, some people think that they were captured and killed by the Japanese because this was around the time that World War II was... When was World War II? Oh, God, I should know this. 1938-something? Uh-oh. Late 30s to early 40s. so bad. I think it ended in 1944. 
Oh my God, that's so okay. embarrassing. Well, yes. <laughs> and this was like around the time when it was starting, all right? Mm. Look, do you want just the gist of World War II? Go to Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> so the, a lot of people thought she was captured and killed by the Japanese because she was like such a famous US hero. Mm. Um, other people think that the Japanese captured them, kept them alive, and then secretly traded them back to the US in exchange for Japanese prisoners, which mm. conspiracy theorists say that all parties involved would have kept that a secret and Earhart and Noonan would have had to have lived under aliases for the rest of their lives because the US would never want to admit that they took part in a prisoner exchange. Mm. Um this is very unlikely because she was internationally recognisable. So anywhere she would go to live, it would be hard for people to not know it was her. But this is just, I'm going through all the Unsolved Mystery-esque theories with you. A mm. woman actually went on Unsolved Mysteries in the 90s to say that she witnessed uh, Amelia Earhart's execution. She was working on a little island in Japan and Amelia Earhart landed there and they killed her and she watched it. But, you know, it's her word against everything else. Mm -hmm. So who knows? But she insists that she saw it. Mm -hmm. um, there was also a rumour that the disappearance had been faked by the US government so that Amelia Earhart could be a spy for US Army intelligence. Mm -hmm. But this rumour likely started because a few years after she disappeared, a movie was made sort of based on her story about a popular female pilot who disappears and then turns up later as a spy for U.S. Army intelligence. So people uh -huh. think that, like, they watched that movie and then just attributed <laughs> the story to her. Uh-huh. Um, over the years, there's been a bunch of photos that have popped up um, that people insist are Earhart and Noonan in various places, like on various islands. Like, you know, a photo of some islanders and in the corner of the photo is a man and a woman just sitting at a table and people are like, it's them. Um, but most of those photos have been debunked. Um, mm. A pretty cool one that I remember even I got into a couple of years ago was there were two skeletons found side by side in a hut in an island in the uh, Pacific, surrounded by their belongings in a way that suggested it was their final resting place, like they had been mm. buried there like or like placed there like that. Um, mm. People flipped out that it was them and they'd crashed on an island and fallen in love and lived there together. Um, but then it's like how did they just lie down and surround themselves with their things and then die at the same time? <laughs> like So... It was probably local natives who had been laid to rest in a traditional way, according to their culture. Could they do Not any sort of dental record check or DNA or anything along those lines? Um, we'll get to that. Okay. So even Robert Ballard, the man who found the Titanic, he got mm. pulled in for a while um, to search for the wreckage because they could never find the wreckage anywhere. And he became convinced he could find it. And there's all these articles before he went on his journey, like, so cocky that he was going to find it. And then I couldn't really find anything about what happened. And I think that's because he didn't find it. So he just kind of slunk away and he never found it. Mm -hmm. So the most likely explanation, even though all the theories are very fun, is that they ran out of fuel between Papua New Guinea and How Howland Island and either crashed into the sea or made an emergency landing on some other tiny bit of land. Because in the mm. Pacific, there's all these tiny little islands and bits of rock and, um, you know, she was a good pilot, so she needed to make an emergency landing somewhere. She had the capability to do that. Um, 
So they had enough fuel to get to Howland Island, but only if they were quick sticks about it. Like they had to just leave the airstrip they were on, get to Howland Island, refuel, go to Hawaii. Um, The problem was they couldn't find Howland Island. Um, And a lot of that has to do with not having the radio operator. So back then you had the navigator, but they would pretty much rely on paper maps and celestial navigation, which is like looking at the stars. Mm-hmm. And another huge part of navigation was radio. So if you can't really tell where you are by looking in the sky or you get disorientated on the map, um, a radio operator radios through to talk to someone on the ground and they can send out a radio signal that your radio picks up that kind of guides you in. As the signal gets stronger, you know you're getting closer to where you need to go. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason you need an experienced radio operator because they help with navigation in that way mm-hmm. um and they had the radio but obviously their radio dude had been like bye and so they had no one who really knew how to use it uh-huh. Earhart and noonan had also cut the longer part of the radio antenna off because they found it annoying that every time you wanted to use the radio you had to put this long antenna up use the radio, and then it was a real pain to pull the long antenna down, and they found that the radio still worked if you cut it, so they just cut the excess bit off. Oh, no. And I think if the radio operator had been there, he would have been like, maybe don't do that. I need Mm. that bit. Mm -hmm. Um, They had also apparently not long before the first attempt was made that hadn't worked out, had a whole new flight deck put in the plane, which was very fancy, but Amelia Earhart wasn't super familiar with. And when they put the new fancy flight deck in, there was no equipment set up for celestial navigation. So Fred Noonan was like, okay, so I'm the navigator. There's nothing in here for celestial navigation. So all I can really do is look out the window and look at the paper map. And hope that it's not cloudy. Yeah, exactly. So in hindsight, things weren't great, (laughs) really. Um, The radio operator who bowed out was kind of smart, but, you know, if he had stayed, they might have lived. So I guess, I don't know, he's probably relieved and also slightly guilty. He would have avoided Um, them circumcising the antenna and then maybe they would have actually been able to find their way back to land, yeah. Well, yes, because here's the thing. When they were flying to Howland Island a fancy ship with a fancy radio had been sent to Howland Island to guide them in. Mm. So if the radio operator had been there, he could have radioed through to Howland Island and the the ship with the radio that they'd sent there could have guided them in. But the radio operator on the ship realised pretty quickly that they could hear Amelia Earhart, but she couldn't hear them. And because she couldn't hear them, there's no way they could send a signal to guide her to the island. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, well, lucky she has a navigator with her with celestial navigation equipment. Whoops, nope, sorry. He doesn't have that either. And so in the uh, Fancy Ships logbook, they logged the last sort of bits of communication they had with Amelia Earhart's plane. So the radio operator on the ship wrote, Earhart on NW. What do you think that means? On Northwest? I don't I know. guess so. Yeah. Earhart on NW says running out of gas, only half an hour left, can't hear us at all, slash we hear her and are sending signal, same time, constantly. And then a couple minutes later, the ship's log writes, 
uh, K-H-A-Q-Q, so that's Earhart's Plane. Earhart's Plane message, calling Itasca, we must be on you but cannot see you. Gas is running low. Been unable to reach you by radio. We are flying at a 1,000 feet. And that was the last message they ever got from her. So clearly they were running out of fuel. They couldn't find the island. They couldn't hear the radio signals. They didn't know what to do. So that doesn't seem to be in dispute, that they ran Mm -hmm. out of fuel and had to do something. Mm -hmm. But what we don't know is whether they just crashed into the sea and sank and died or Mm -hmm. if they made it to another little island um, and, like, lived there for a bit and Mm -hmm. fell in love and got married or got murdered Mm -hmm. by the Japanese or what. Mm -hmm. Um, The theory that is most likely is that they did make it to another little island, basically Mm -hmm. a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of land and rock called Niku Maroro. Mm -hmm. And this is what the International Group for Historic Aircraft Discovery have listed as their official theory. And it's pretty compelling. They say that when Amelia Earhart realises she's not going to find Howland Island, she was like, F that, no time, I'm going to start looking for somewhere else to land. Because she knew she could land somewhere else if she found somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I think basically her and Noonan were just looking out the window for somewhere to land the plane. They Mm -hmm. see Niku Mororo. They think that they landed there because they found bones there in 1940 and they wrote off those bones being Amelia Earhart's because at the time an expert said that the bones um, were of a man. So Mm -hmm. even though a lot of people thought the bones were the size of a 40-year-old-ish woman, Amelia Earhart was um, 38, her size and build, some expert at the time was like, no, those bones are of a man. So then everybody just ignored everything they found on Niku Mororo. But then Mm -hmm. a bunch of years later, an expert came in and was like, no, those bones are of a 35 to 40-year-old woman. And Uh so then they went back and they were like, oh, well, let's look at all the crap we found on the island. And they had found with those bones a bottle of popular freckle fading cream that she wore all the time, uh-huh. um, a knife that she had owned, na- a navigational tool that was the one that Noonan used. There was a little uh, hand-sized mirror and there was a zipper that matched the one that was in her flying suit. <sighs> So all this stuff had kind of been ignored because someone at the time was like, nah, those are men's bones. Uh-huh. Mm. So, Shame. Here's You're the gonna, thing oh. that... What? No, what? Tell me. What are you going to say? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell us. Do you think that they were planted there or do you actually think that they were legitimately there when Amelia I'm arrived? Gonna te- I'm, I'm going to tell you right now what I think happened and it's pretty bloody grim, to Great. be honest. Um. So this is the nutso thing about this island. Um, Because they um, found all the stuff in 1940 um, and the plane went down in 1937, that means that whether she and Fred landed on the island or not, they can't have lived for more than three years because when they went to the island three years later, they were dead. Mm. Um, They did know how to catch fish and survive and... um, live in the wilderness if they needed to. And there was, when they went to the island in 1940, remnants of a campsite there. So Mm -hmm. 
there had been people on this uninhabited island, there had been people who had set up some kind of campsite, um, but there was no fresh water, so they eventually would have become pretty exhausted. It would have been difficult for them. And on this island, there's a lot of crabs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, what did I call it before? The International Group for Historic Aircraft Discovery think that Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan landed on this island, survived for a few days, mm. and were then eaten by thousands and thousands of tiny island crabs. <laughs> so, <laughs> now there was initially a theory that because on this island there is something called island there's something called giant coconut crabs which can grow up to three feet in length from oh. leg to leg. Mm. So people were like, "Oh my god, how horrific!" They got attacked and killed by giant crabs. Mm. But the official oh god, I can't keep going back to look at what it's called group for historic aircraft discovery went to the island when it was discovered that the bones were of a woman and that all the belongings were Amelia Earhart's. They were like, well, this has to be where she died. Let's go check out the island. And so uh -huh. they went to the island and realized that the massive coconut crabs are not very aggressive. They're really shy. There's not many of them and they don't really like eating um, flesh of animals. They eat kind of other stuff. Mm -hmm. The problem, they say were the strawberry hermit crabs, which are very, 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 very small, but there are thousands upon thousands of them, and mm. they blanket the floor, they climb the trees. He said that um, when we were investigating the site, you sometimes felt like the ground was moving, but then you looked and you realised it was Ew. just blanketed in these Ew. crabs. And he said, as soon as we took a lunch break and opened the cooler, they could smell the food and they just kept, like thousands of them descended on us. Swimming. And if you were sitting still for more than a second, they would start nipping at you. <gasps> and so if you like lie down to rest or take a nap or don't appear to be moving, they just start pinching your flesh, like eating you. Shut up. And so they think that Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan, if... Fred Noonan survived because they never found his bones. So either uh -huh. he didn't survive and she was there on her own or he did mm. survive and he was just completely eviscerated. Um, they think that what happened was they got there, they built a campsite, they survived for as long as they could, but with no fresh water, they eventually got too exhausted to move, lay down, couldn't do anything, and thousands and thousands of little crabs came over and ate them alive. <laughs> <laughs> so the president oh, well. of the president of this historical society says, quote, she could have been lying there, not dead, but too exhausted to move and have been eaten alive by thousands of those little bastards. They even so they even, to test their theory, conducted an experiment on the island to see how long it would take for strawberry hermit crabs to completely eat through a body, like stripping all the flesh from the bone. Mm -hmm. So they put a pig carcass, a giant pig carcass, around the same size as a human woman on the island, and within 12 days the tiny strawberry hermit crabs had licked the bones clean. 
That is so creepy. And just to punctuate how creepy that was, the door here blew open with the wind in this really slow, <laughs> eerie way as you were explaining that. Hang on one sec. It's like spiders, but sea spiders. Yes, that's what they are. I think they are, arachnids. But, oh, thousands and thousands. Of, that is such a great... And the nutso thing... Oh. That is like most likely what happened because her. It's not really disputed that her. That was her staff, yeah. and I mean it is just. It, it's not that it's not disputed, but it's like well, that's her staff, uh-huh. and do with that information what you will. But that is definitely her staff. Mm-hmm. The bones were of a woman her age, and the only main living thing on the island were thousands and thousands and thousands of these flesh-eating crabs. Wow, I did not expect things to take such a dark <laughs> turn. I My know. jaw just won't open far enough. That's how she went. Oh. Now that is an awesome factoid for a dinner party, my friend. Like, No kidding. Um, nobody especially thinks. Especially satisfying nobody if you're knows seafood. <laughs> totally. Get your revenge on the people who killed hero Amelia Earhart. Mm. Wow. <laughs> like I'd never heard that theory in my life. And is that pretty widely accepted now? Well, I mean, it's like I said on, you know, Wikipedia, it still said she's missing for 80 years, blah, 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 days and counting. People still say that um, it, there's no official, like she's still considered missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but... From everything I read, and look, I'm giving you just the gist, mm. so I'm hardly an expert in this. <laughs> to me, it seems like that is the most widely accepted theory is that she died on that island. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it was crabs, I guess, is up for debate. <laughs> but if she died on the island, it is most likely it was the crabs. Wow. Have there, do you know, have there ever been any other reported cases of death by crab? That's a good question, Jacob. <laughs> Everyone, do, do your homework. Give us just the gist mm-hmm. of whether people have died by a crab. You know how to get in touch with us, Gistners. If you've got any fabulous anecdotes about crab homicide, yeah. we want to hear about it. Wow. So that's that. That's that. There's a fun factoid under your belt for your next dinner party. That's That'll bring <laughs> the mood right, right down. <laughs> Still fascinating. (laughs) Wow. Good story. Well done, honey. Oh, thank you. That was a, um, yeah, I I have been looking into that one for a while and I sort of kept putting it off because I was like, I hate stories where there's no ending. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's missing. And like, Mm. but then when I started reading into it and I read that, I was like, whoa, Jacob's going to flip. Makes it so satisfying. And I love it when you give us just the gist of things that you hear about in popular culture, but you never actually bother to take the time to look into what does that actually mean and who was this person? I know, right? Now I feel fantastic. And I love that you just said, I love that you just said hearing that she got cannibalized by thousands of tiny crabs makes it so satisfying. Oh. <laughs> Poor choice of phrase on my part, sorry. Just... I felt like there was a resolution. <laughs> that was probably the Look, darkest possible the bow gist. to wrap around this. There are people who are very obsessed with this mystery and I'm sure there are some of them who are listening right now who are 
screaming into their earphones that I've got it very wrong and this theory is ridiculous and please get in touch and let us know because, you know, like I said, this was just the gist of the research and when you do just the gist research, you end at killer crabs. (laughs) (laughs) Let us know. Otherwise, that was the definitive answer of what happened to Amelia Earhart. Okay, bye. Case closed. See you, sweetie. Listener.